What's up, y'all? This is Moby. I connected with Pablo at Podcast Movement and Funnel Hacking Live and Podfest. And here's why you should connect with Pablo. I don't know any other person who thinks the way that he does when it comes to building relationships at scale, specifically for business development when you're a mid to large organization. Yes, there's people who talk about personal brands, influence, but when it comes to thought leadership and content and building relationships for business development, Pablo is your guy. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, in my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way. And in that, I can learn from him. This means every single person you've ever interacted with has done something slightly different than every single other person and therefore has something to teach you and you, my friend, have something to teach them. This means every conversation you have is both a chance to learn something and a chance to make an impact. Every room full of people you walk into is both a library and your stage. And the better you get at getting to know people, the value they each inherently bring, and how to share it with others, the greater the impact you can make on the world. My name is Pablo Gonzalez, and I've created a system called the Relationship Flywheel, designed to create impact through relationships at scale. And this podcast is a living document of how to do it. So hit subscribe right now. If you want to learn how to get to know people, get them to know you, and build a world-class network. Some episodes will be interviews, some episodes will be regular calls with people building rapport, and some will be tactical advice to teach you how to build your own relationship flywheel and achieve anything you want. Now smash that subscribe button and let's get connected. Welcome back to the Chief Executive Connector Podcast. I am your host and Chief Executive Connector, Pablo Gonzalez, and I'm freaking pumped about who we're about to talk to today. I met Moby at Funnel Hacking Live 2019, where he showed up with his sweet red scarf, and he was just on the side making sweet videos nonstop, just really, really compelling dude, and I have grown a relationship with him for a while based on a weird man crush I've had on him ever since that day. We've collaborated on virtual summits. He has been a guy whose course I've purchased in the past. He is my one of the people that I consider my content mentors. He is weighing in at a slim fit, 155 pounds from the town of Lahore, Pakistan. He's the co-founder and CEO of Fire Show Media, Moby. What Moby is up, Pablo? Thank you very much, man. I, I, uh, this is a long time coming. It's a long time coming since Funnel Hacking Live. And we met at like Podcast Movement and Podcast after that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I kind of, I, I feel like after Funnel Hacking Live, I virtual stalked you for a while and, you know, kept on sending you messages and whatnot. And then finally we met. I think, I think we, I think we became better friends once we saw each other live the next time, which was that first podcast movement, kind of like end of maybe August, September, 2019. Yeah, we hung out, we had dinner, and there were some other cool people. That was a good that was a good conference, man. That was fun as hell. Was that your first podcasting conference? Had you gone to other podcasting conferences? I had hosted one in Austin, but a smaller one, like 150 yeah. people. Yeah. This that was, was a that was a pretty eye-opening thing for me. The idea that 
you know, I went there very strategically like, oh, if I can network a bunch of podcasts, because I, I felt this at Funnel Hacking Live, right? Like at Funnel Hacking Live, a lot of people had online platforms. And then I thought, okay, I just networked my first like 100 people with online platforms. If I can go to a podcast conference, everybody has an online platform and every friend I make is potentially a guest appearance and like being able to like do my own radio row kind of like scenario. So I very deliberately, you know, struck into that possible, but I found that podcasters are just people I like, man. Like people, people yeah. that all have something to say, people that are open to collaborate. Had you, had you felt that before? Had you felt community inside the podcast space before that? Not, a, not on a national level until I met these people. There's something compelling about people who are out there. I mean, I could say making content, but it's really people who, who are audacious enough to say, you know, I'm just starting out. I'm starting a business or I've been in it for two years, 20 years. I'm sharing a message. There's something which makes me be like, oh, that's awesome. I'd love to learn more about you. Can someone who puts themselves out there, they're just good to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like where you're at with it, right? Because it's very different. Somebody that's out there to be an influencer and someone that, that's out there to start a podcast, right? A podcast, it's like the storytelling of you and people around you. And you're telling some kind of story. Whereas before that, there is the idea of, I'm just going to make a bunch of content and, and call a lot of attention to myself. Like there's, it is a little bit different. And I think the one that skews towards telling stories at scale is the type of person I like to talk to more. Yeah. Than and there's something vulnerable about a podcast. I don't know what it is, but as a solo uh, podcaster or as a guest, when you share, you can just, I feel like it's easier to share vulnerability on a podcast than it is on video because the lack of video sometimes. And you just feel like you're talking to the mic to people who are choosing to listen to you for a long time and you trust them. They trust you. It's a weird relationship, which I love. So speaking of vulnerability, Moby, I prepped you for this question, right? Yes. Uh, like it normally, normally it comes sooner, but my thesis on human connection is the two quickest ways to build rapport with someone is to add value to their life, which I'm sure we're going to do here as I interview you and your brilliant story. And two is if you share vulnerability with somebody, right? Like that is, that is the, oh, this person is human like me moment. And because my podcast is all about connection, I want you to connect with our friend who's listening in her ear right now. So, you know, what is something that you've been struggling with these days or something that you've really heavily struggled with in the past? Yeah. So I'll share my fear of public speaking in the story, but right now, as of this present moment, it's going to be almost a year since I got late, got laid off in March, 2020. And so I was like, I'm never going to work a job again. I'm going to start a company. And we hosted online conferences, we did online courses, and I moved into a less expensive uh, place to live because I'm like, cut your overhead. And it's become my life. Like, this is what I want to do. I don't see anything. I don't see anything else. Like, the business is what I want to do. I'm all in. I love doing it. But while doing something you love, like there's still, you know, the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur, the, oh my God, this is brilliant. We're going to make so much money. And they're like, oh, I have no idea what I'm doing. And that's just constant. And, you know, in COVID and with COVID, you and I are extroverts. So that isolation that comes with being an entrepreneur in COVID, when you're just meeting people online and you see a few people in person, but it's just not the same that is a struggle for me to be around people physically who are going through the same things that I am. The ups and downs of entrepreneurs. We're committed. We want to do this. But oh my God, sometimes I just want to sit across from somebody at a table, have a coffee or a beer and just be like, tell me the shit that's going on in your life. Yeah. And I miss that. Yeah. Yeah. I get that, man. The 
the ups and downs of entrepreneurship are such a what was it? There's there's this book called like the hard thing about doing hard things, and and there's like a moment in the book where they're going in there to like save the company for like the fifth time or whatever it is, and the VP of sales like looks at like the founder and goes, "Hey, you know that's the that's the fun thing about entrepreneurship. It's that oh, man, you know what? I haven't I haven't said this one in a while, but like it, he he says something along the lines of like, there's only two feelings in entrepreneurship, and it's like the complete suicidal death, like want to kill yourself. You're, you're like, you're like over it completely. You're done or the most exhilarating high that you could possibly feel. But the good news is lack of sleep adds to both of those. <laughs> That's funny. I like that yeah. a lot. It's something like that, man. But yeah, dude, I, I feel you, man. Like I, I, I've been describing it lately as you're always either in this like stretching so far that I feel like I'm about to be torn apart to like, mm-hmm. to then pull it in. And then the moment that you pull it in and you're like, man, I kind of have stuff going on. It's like, how can I stretch out again? Right. So it's yeah. like, this like constant expand and contract. Is that, do, do you feel that way? Like, like how, how, how much are the cycles of you feeling good and feeling like, Oh my God, I'm way over my head. And then, and then coming back, like, do you have a percentage for that? Oh, wow. I would say I've made an intentional choice to make 30% of my time, like thinking time where I've got my notebook and I, I don't have meetings. This is my first meeting of the day. I don't meet people until 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And I just take my time to think and strategize and take all the feedback and just think about what's next. That is for me, the contracting and think about time. And I feel good. I feel creative. I feel like we're building something. And then you go out and tell people about your idea. You get customer conversations, you get mentor feedback and half of the time they're good. And half of the time they're like, you have no idea what you're doing. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) And you're making things up. And sometimes that goes really well. And sometimes it doesn't. You're like, you sit back at the end of the day. You're like, is what, what do we need to change? I don't know what to change. Am I the right person for this? And it's the cycle. I can't, I would say 30% of my time is that like, oh no. But I feel like doubt is good because it leads to questioning yourself. And if you can question yourself, well, even when you feel bad about it, you can come up with better answers. It's just the process of questioning yourself, which just doesn't feel amazing at all. It's like, am I doing the right things? When you have that question in your mind, the next question is, how can I do the right things? What are the right things? When do I do them? How often do we do this? And I find that to be useful. Doubt and insecurity about your position helps you become better. And you can't escape that emotion that is attached with doubting yourself or questioning things. It's part of life, you know? Boom. That's one one piece of micro content coming out of this, brother. Boom. Content, content, content. Moby, how do you go from being somebody that was afraid of public speaking and still doesn't like to go to karaoke to somebody that looks so cool, having so much, such a good time on, on camera and is like emceeing events at podcast movement and is doing all this fly ass shit. Talk to me about that. I can't believe you still remember the fact that I don't do karaoke. <laughs> you, you still remember that because that's the one thing I do not do. I do not get on stage and do karaoke. I'm so afraid of it. So I was, dude, I don't know if you were in that, ever in that position, but I had an extreme fear of public speaking. Like my body would clamp up. The idea of giving a talk a month in the future, I would get a ball of anxiety in my in my stomach and it would not let go. And the idea of getting in front of, of 10 people and sharing what I wanted to, will I look stupid? What will people think? Will I come across as just not knowing what I'm talking about? My hands would shake at one time and I've heard my voice shake in a presentation. Mm-hmm. 
And so once I started working at Dell, my first professional foray, it was like, okay, I got to do everything I can. So I did improv classes. So I went into improv class, a comedy, just learning. I took every chance that I got to actually say, yo, I'm going to do this presentation. Yes, I would love to. And I would try to go all in, make a deck, stand up, dress up, and just do every single thing. I started joining uh, Toastmasters, which is an org- international organization helping people speak. The first time I went to Toastmasters, right? It was an hour converse- It was an hour-long meeting. There were about 30 people in the room, which is big for Toastmasters. This was a Dell Toastmasters. And, you know, you, you don't speak the first time. Yeah, you're just there to watch. And But there's a section in, in the end, which is called Hot Topics or something, which is that they pull Table something topics. out. Table topics. Table topics, yes. They pulled something out of a uh, hat and they're like, oh, talk about this. And there are a few questions that people asked and people volunteered, right? People were like, I'll talk about this. And I remember sitting there just looking at these people and my back was drenched in sweat. This was 2015. I was just like, oh my God, how will I do this? Somebody talked about the economy of Texas. And I was like, I'm an economics major and I have no idea what to say right now. And I took that, you know, that I just faced that fear again and again and again with the help of others, right? It was people in Toastmasters. My boss, improv teachers, I just metaphorically was like, hey, hold my hand while I go through this. And so many people held my hand while I was going through this process of facing my fear. Like so many improv teachers, Toastmasters people, friends, people who gave me opportunities to speak. I can't say that I did it alone. I did it because people were willing to, maybe this phrase works, hold space for me in that and let me be myself and go through that fear over time. And now I cannot get enough of it. Is you once, once you face down a fear that you've had for a long time and you look at it and you're like, this is not so bad. You enjoy it. Mm. Mm. That gives me hope that we're within 12 months of you enjoying karaoke, which I, <laughs> which I will enjoy very much. That's cool, man. I guess a lot of people feel that fear for public speaking. Yeah. Yet they don't invest the, the requisite energy into that, right? Like to, you know, to answer your question, I've never really felt that, man. So I don't, I don't empathize with that, right? Like I've always been like, I wanted to be the star in the play and drama and, 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 and whatever growing up. And, and while giving some speeches in front of the student assembly as student body vice president, like I'd feel mm-hmm. my leg shaking. It was never one of these things where I was just like, I don't want to do this. Right. Like I always, I always kind of relish the attention, but your story is much more common. Your story is of this, like completely dreading it and, and whatever. What was the, you know, people move towards, towards pleasure or away from pain. What was the, what was the thing that made you move into, I'm going to, I'm going to do Toastmasters. I'm going to sign up for improv. Like what, what made you take action? Was it a, was it a pain or a pleasure? It was a fiction book. There's a book series called Emperor of Thorns. It's got three books in it. It's about, you know, it's like Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones style fantasy. And the guy, uh, the main character starts off at 16 and he's a complete psychopath. <laughs> like literally not sociopath, not deranged, psychopath. And what was interesting in that book is it's a very stream of consciousness book. He just, he just tell and he does horrible things to people. He's not a good person. But there was this, I saw this again and again in that book. He would describe his fear as he was doing something and he would still do the thing that he was so afraid of. And he jumped into opportunities and situations. And what, what st- stuck out, what's just, 
stuck out for me was not the fact that he did those things, but he did those things when he was feeling absolute fear. Like, and another quote comes uh, to mind, which is without fear, you can't be brave. And I was like, courage isn't not fearing. Courage is doing something despite being afraid of it. And that just gave me, you know, it's a weird thing to say, but give me permission to be afraid while doing something like be completely afraid and be like, it's okay. You can still screw this up because I've screwed up public speaking many, many times. But just that idea that I can do something even when my, even when I don't want to do it, when my body is like, what are you doing? Play, go home and just crawl into a bed and read a nice book. That feeling is okay. I can still go ahead. That is so fundamental to, to growth, right? Like, yeah. I, I think that that was the first thing. I think the first one person that articulated that really well for me was, was Brene Brown when she was like mm -hmm. talking about like, I think it was in her, I either, the first time I listened to her was on a Tim Ferriss podcast. And then I went out and checked out her Ted talk, but she said something along the lines of like, if you're not about to throw up <laughs> like from nerves of whatever you're doing, you're just not trying that hard. And that was yeah. such like an, uh, like an aha moment for me oh, wow. of, of just like, okay, so I've just, I've just been a coward, right? Like I just have, I've been, I've been mired in comfort, right? Like, and moving forward. What's, what's the name of that? What's the name of that book about that? What was the name of that? Prince of Thorns. Prince of Thorns. Interesting. Yeah. I read it three times, the whole trilogy, just in six months. Nerd alert. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Huge nerd. <laughs> Awesome. I love it. Okay. So you, so you started, you started speaking in public, you started embracing your fear. When did you, when did you start making content, man? Well, let me start with why I started making content. Go ahead. Because that's, of the U S government. That's what I meant for the record. Because of the U S government. It, the U S government was the biggest catalyst in me being where I am right now, because I moved to the U S in 2010, went to college in college. I wanted to start a business, wanted to do the whole immigrant business side hustle thing, but call UT told me, yo, you can't start a business on a student visa. If you make money outside of your job, outside of college, you'll be kicked out of the country. I'm like, okay. I waited, taught myself how to uh, make websites, made a free website for some things. And then when I started at Dell, I was like, okay, I'm making money through a work visa. I can make money on the side, right? Because I'm able to legally make money now. An immigration lawyer that I paid $250 for, for 20 minutes of a conversation said, nope, got to wait for your green card. So here I am in 2016, six years into my life in the U.S. I'm away from my parents who have built these businesses the last over the last six years to fund me and my brother coming to college. And I have opportunities back home. Everyone's back home in Pakistan. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, I, I just don't want to be Adele forever. I, I don't want to be director. I don't want to be a VP of stuff. I just can't do it. What do I do with my life? Because I can't legally make money. I can't have a business on the side. And I was listening to, this is like a Wednesday afternoon at like seven, I was making chicken really badly in my kitchen, listening to Tim Ferriss' first episode. And he was horrible in it. You know, he had ums and uhs and stutters. The audio quality was in and they got drunk in the middle of it. And so I was like, wait, I can start a podcast. I was like, the US government can't kick me out for making a podcast, right? If I want to start a business and all I can do is wait before I can do it, what if I just start learning right now and build a personal brand around it? And even I didn't even know what a personal brand really meant. But I was like, okay, I'm going to learn from people by interviewing them on a podcast. And in, hopefully in a few years, I'll get my green card and we'll see what happens. And we'll see what happens turn into this. 
that's how I got my start. That's so smart, man. Like I, number one, take the immigrant piece out of it, right? The idea that build it before you need it is so instrumental to me in like everything, right? Like whether it's networking, making content, personal brand, right? Like I talk to so many people as I'm sure you do too, right? Like what, cause we live this life and we have gone out on our own. There is people from our past life that are like, bro, you know, you become the person that they go to when they're like, I'm thinking about making this leap. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you see this man, but I see a lot of people like, yeah, man, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna do it. Like it's, it's so much sexier to just make the leap and, and tell yourself that you're just like burning all caution to the wind when the move is you can start right now. Like you can, you can start creating content. You can start building a network. You can start researching, getting curious, building a following, getting a top of funnel going before you actually take that leap. And you can do it in a way that still serves your job and it still serves what you're doing. Like there, there is this like middle ground between side hustle your own co- your own company quitting your job staying in your job that kind of serves everything right like yeah. were you were t- t- tell me tell me about that like were you while you started making content did you see it manifest in opportunities within your own company as well in no way yes and let me add a quote to what you said my co-founder sent said this to me what day, uh, monday uh, two days ago mm-hmm. i was like yo man, this is taking so long. We're building these systems. And, you know, we're selling services packages for the first time. It's only been six weeks since we started doing it. And he said something. I was like, oh yeah, that's that's just good. I, I like that. He says, it takes a while to build, to build the unbuilt. Like it just takes time. And it's hard for us to be in that zone of fired up and wanting to get results and putting 14, 16 hour days and you just don't get results because it takes time to build the unbuilt. And I really like that. As I was talking, I realized I just forgot your question. No, I was just asking, like, like I, I completely agree with you, right? Like, I think it to get anything off the ground, it takes like one to two years, right? Like I, oh yeah, this, this is my second business that I have built and it's end of year two shit starts coming together, right? So like, if, if I could have started prior to this, then better, you know, right? Like you don't have to rip the bandit off completely. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of asking of that in-between period, right? Of the, of the time when you were still working for Dell making content, building up a reputation, if how if you were able to reverse engineer the benefits that you were getting from what you're doing on the side with the benefits of what your current situation was before having to be like completely about your next step. Yeah. So I was doing all I was honestly in the start, the first two years of chasing making content, I was chasing a feeling of like, oh it's it's just so creative. I love to interview people. I love to learn them learn from them. Because honestly, I didn't have a way out. If I left Dell, I would have lost my green card application. If I changed jobs into marketing, I would have lost my green card application. If I changed jobs within Dell to another engineering position, I would have had to restart my green card position. So I was really stuck. And I was just trying to get fulfillment from this in the start. Over time, as my green card process uh, date got closer and closer, which is still ambiguous, that's when I was like, what could I do with this? And you know, I went to Click funnels was the funnel hacking live was like, I should make a course. And I had the idea for the course that you actually bought on a, on the side of the hotel. And I was just writing down my notebook, 15 day video bootcamp, which turned into two week content bootcamp. 
It's like, I want to teach people how to build their personal brand. That's, it took me three years. And the process, honestly, I was a miserable wreck for the last 30% of my time in the green card because I felt like I was hitting a wall. Like I interviewed the mayor, director of South by Southwest. Nothing was exciting anymore for a long time, for like six to 12 months. I just felt like I was doing the same thing again and again, and I wasn't making any more money. I was putting my money into the podcast. I was going to conferences and my income was stacked limited. And dude, I had a panic attack in Vegas at a bachelor party. Like I hated my job so much. I went to a bachelor party and the next day, super hungover, like four, I had a panic attack. Like, I'm like, what am I doing in my life? I need to do something like, and I wasn't super happy for a long time. It ruined my mental health. I gained weight, had that panic attack, ruined relationship. And it's all these, you know, the process taught me everything I needed to know. It was what I needed to go through, but the cost was very high as well. So anybody who's listening to this, yes, immigrant story, built it over time, but the cost of it, if you're going through something and you're like, I'm losing a lot because of it, it happens. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, like to be an entrepreneur is, and I I hate, man, it's so weird. Like I've never really pontificated on Oh, the entrepreneurship and uh, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? Like I've never, cause I, I very recently started kind of giving myself credit for the gumption it takes to, to kind of like pull these moves off. Like I've just kind of mm-hmm. been like, well, of course I'm just doing this because this is what's supposed to be happening. Right. The more I think about it, the more it's kind of nuts, man. Like, like the, the idea, the idea that you are good enough to call your own shots at all times and you don't need somebody else to, 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 to be directing that ship. When you look at the statistics, not a lot of people have the ability to do that and pull it off. Well, Mm -hmm. right. So to think that you can do it is in itself a pretty audacious goal. So if you're trying to accomplish something so audacious, it's, it's going to have a high cost, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you know, like there's no, there, there's, there's no great thing that you can accomplish without, you know, without great sacrifice, right? Like Michael Phelps didn't become Michael Phelps because he just like decided he can mm-hmm. swim a couple of times a year, right? Like it's like, yeah. and, and like LeBron James spends like $10 million a year on his body, right? you know, like, like that type of stuff, right? Let's talk about being an immigrant, man. Cause I honestly, man, like that, that to me was really like, I, I liked you. I liked you at Funnel Hacking Live. Like I was like, Ooh, who's this Pakistani dude with a scarf? But then following your saga of uh, saga, saga of, of, of the immigrant process was really what drew me to you. Cause I've, I've, I haven't lived that, but I've been very up close and personal with a lot of Venezuelans that have lived that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I also think that. Venezuelans make great entrepreneurs because they've been raised in a escalating scarcity mentality. And all of a sudden when they come to the US, they're like, I can do all this stuff. They just yeah. fucking crush, right? So tell me about the how, how much of your entrepreneurial gumption is is cultural Pakistan? How much do you think has been shaped by living in the US? What's your outlook on all that stuff? So before I came to the U.S., I was, you know, I was also much younger, but I was very scared of pretty much everything. It's very decisive. I remember this moment. I think I was 19 or 20. 
I was at an ice cream shop and I had two flavors in mind and I couldn't make a decision. It was like the opportunity cost. I was a very scared guy. And the, the thing about the US, which I love, is that first off, you have the ability to try new things if you invest time or money in it. Yeah. Improv classes, you can learn how to like make, you can learn woodworking, you can learn how to make caps, you can learn marketing. Of course, with the internet, everything's everywhere, but like, I can go here and find a local class for anything I want. If I want to become a stripper tomorrow, I can go to a, a, a workout class and go to a, a pole dancing class. And I'm good. I, I'll learn. And I feel like there's so many opportunities where people can pay to learn, which I love. So I invest a lot of time and money uh, into books, into courses, just trying to be like, how do I be better over time? Because I, at one point, I was chasing self-improvement for the sake of self-improvement, which is good for a while. The second thing was like, you can break out in the US very easily. Like what is stopping me from building a relationship with the mayor if I engineer it well enough? Nothing, absolutely nothing. And I did that, right? I hounded his assistant for three months. And she was finally, she was like, hey, just come here for 3 p.m. and you can interview the mayor. And, and again, and director of South by Southwest. These people are giving me their time. It's just so in the US, I think you can move in certain circles and especially the tech entrepreneurship, creative content creator circle circles, you have a, you have a leverage that you can use to meet new people and get exposure. And people are like, yeah, sure. Do it. When I was speaking in podcast movement, you know why that happened? Cause I asked the guy, I was like, Hey, you've seen me speak at outlier, which we hosted in Austin a year ago. Can I help you with something? I was like, I'll do a live stream for him. He made me the MC for the live stream stage, the first ever. And these opportunities in the U.S., I feel like there's just so, I feel like U.S. is, in your life is malleable in the U.S. a lot. Like you can do whatever you want. Of course, with that comes the lack of a safety net. But I feel like the U.S. helped me through being able, number one, being able to learn new things. Mm-hmm. And number two, me being able to try new things, go to Dell, go speak at conferences, go do this. It helped me discover my competence in the start. And what I was lacking was confidence because I wasn't competent. I didn't feel competent in anything. School was horrible. I had a 2.8 GPA. I almost got expelled twice. So I think the US gave me opportunities to find my competence. And once you feel competent in something that can be made that you can use for your job, for your career, for your life, dude, that's a power that is hard to lose. You can be lost, but it's just something that you have and you like you can leverage the hell out of it. And I think like in the U.S., competence is the word more than just nepotism for the everyday person. Yeah, competence can get you far in the U.S. A hundred percent, right? Like I feel like the U.S. is the lowest entry barriers to leveling up, right? Like you can, mm. like like what you said, right? Like you can break into into stuff in the U.S. very easily. I think as an immigrant, you're armed with that perspective because you know how much harder it is to break into other stuff, right? Like how you just said, dude, I can go take, you know, a thousand hours of ab class and a pole dancing class and I can be a stripper. Yeah. Some people will be like, I got to get off my fucking couch and, and go do this. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like I, I think, I, I do think that, that that arbitrage of seeing a world that doesn't have a lot of opportunity and then seeing a world with a bunch of opportunity you you develop the outlook of it as opportunity as opposed to demand for work that you know that 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 people think is unfair or whatever yeah. and 
and you have that advantage, man. You you said something else. You said that as a content creator, you have leverage. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, this is you know, I I think I hear this three three times a week now, which is, hey, if you have a podcast, anybody's gonna, everybody's gonna say yes to that. I think, but having a there's a study that I don't know who did, and I read this a few years ago, which is related that. They did an experiment in which they asked uh, people to cut in line. Just go ahead and cut a line in their local uh, town. And this person would go up to other people in the line and say, hey, can I cut in line? The majority of the time, people would say no. But when this person went up to those people and said, hey, can I cut in line? And the reason is dash, dash, dash. It didn't matter how good the reason was. It just mattered they had a reason. So people will let other people cut in line if that person had a reason. And I feel like when you're reaching out to somebody and you have content or have the opportunity to have them on a show or write an article about them or you know make a stage for them, you have a reason. And it just, it just, it's like, it just creates so, it just takes away a lot of the friction. Like somebody does not want to hear, hey, can I set up 30, 60 minutes of your time and can I pick your brain? There's nothing in it for them, you know? Yeah. But if you say, hey, can I interview for a, for a podcast? You're giving them something. And, and, you know, I've heard it so many times that this feels like basic to me, but I'm still shocked by it. I mean, I've done two podcasts. I've probably done 250 interviews this time. And the podcast, I'm not doing as much, but that's one of the reasons I want to go back into it because just leverage be like, yo, you want to be on my show? Yeah, it's the move, right? Like, move. like hey, can I pick your brain? is a lot less appealing to the receiver than hey can i put you on my can i put you on my show can i promote you to my friends can i can i have you on a stage can you be a keynote speaker at my event right like you're you're just so much more likely to say yes to that stuff and i too i am shocked i am shocked by people's inability to understand the power of having a platform and 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 yeah. what that you know what that opens doors to so let's talk but you're also awesome at just being cool on camera, right? Like I, I, I feel like it's a lot easier to talk to somebody on zoom and interview them than it is to like pop out your phone and like talk to it and come across compelling and jump out of the screen, man. And you are really good at that, right? Like, and I know that you teach people how to be good at that stuff. Can you, can you give me a little something here, man? Like what, what, what can we teach people about looking cool, making your own content and, and, and coming across like a ball on camera? Give me something. Yeah. I, so I started this, I wanted to start this journey a long time ago. The, this light that's on my left that I use now, you know what year I bought these lights to start video? 2015. 2014. <laughs> it's my yeah. second guess. And I bought a small uh, tripod for my camera. And I remember putting it in my, on my kitchen counter and just sitting, sitting in front and be like, okay, what do I talk about? What? And I would just make up these things that would regurgitate like Gary Vee crap. And I'd be like, that sounds horrible. And then I started a podcast. And I remember trying again and again for video and video. And uh, the only times I could do it was live streaming an interview that I was doing, that the focus was not on me. That was the first thing that I did. And I did it quite a few times. Then finally, I did a solo live stream in which I had a mic and I basically recorded a podcast and then I finally, in 2018, I was like, I'm going to make a video every single week. 2018, right? Like every single week. I did it for five weeks and I stopped doing it. 
because it was a too much effort. It was too, I couldn't learn. I didn't know what to, how to edit it. And it was too confusing. And I was like, I got to put it on YouTube. And then like October, 2019, I was with my business partner, Austin. And I, I was leaning against a, a railing in a coffee shop. And I was wearing this shirt by Steven Larson. It says, get rich, give back. And I love that shirt. I love the message. And Austin was like, yo, why do you have that shirt? I'm like, pull out your camera and I'll tell you. He pointed at me and I just turned on. I was like, boom, boom, boom. And we started calling those videos, Hey Moby videos, where it was like, just point the camera at me, ask me a question. You ask me that question and I will go ahead and talk. And I realized a lot of the times we say that we want to be good at pointing the camera at ourselves and talking solo when we just aren't ready for it. So the first thing is, if you are doing something, can you have a conversation with somebody else on live stream? Like if they're next to you or you're talking to them like this, can you start off by that? Just do the easiest thing possible. The first step, don't worry about being awesome on camera. Don't uh, worry about sounding very smart. Have a conversation with somebody on camera and put it all on them. And they're relying on you to hold space for them as the interviewer. And you were lying on them to basically sound smart. And you're just being like, yep, 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 yep. And then second, after you are past that and you want to talk on camera, I would say find a method that works best for you. If it's walking outside or it's a buddy pointing the camera at you or it's you on Zoom or it's you writing a, a reading a script off the piece of paper, Pick the weirdest thing that is easiest for you. Do that until you get bored of it. Then try something more exciting, more exciting. Small baby steps. Nobody is good at a camera just pointing at themselves because we make micro judgments all the time. We look at ourselves. We're like, oh, what happened to my mustache? If you have a mustache. Oh, my hair. Oh, I sound so stupid. What about that zit? Do I, that sounded stupid. And just doing the small thing again and again until you're bored of it will over time make you better at it. If you're afraid of water, you just don't go and do 200 lengths at one time. You just sit by it for the first time. Then you put your toes in it. Then you go in and jump in it. And then you wear those. What do you call those things? Like, you know, swimmies, floaties, swim, sw- floaties. Yeah, yeah. find your floaties. You know, I'm going to write it. Find your floaties and try them until you can take them off people that do what you do and that you like what they're doing. Right. Cause like, as you were talking about it, I I'm like relating this stuff to like my networking speaking points of just some of the things I say that people are like, man, I never thought of it that way. Like right, right now when you're talking, number one, I hear in your story, the people that held space for me at, at Toastmasters and at improv, that's the reason why I became a good public speaker. So it makes sense that you then transfer that into, okay, if someone can hold space for me as I'm making content, then that is my floaties, right? Like you, you figured out something that works for you in multiple different ways. And that if someone can kind of support you a little bit and you can make it a little bit more conversational, then it works Two, way easier to talk to somebody than it is to make a presentation. Right. So like, absolutely, man. Like I've, I've, I've said this a lot, right? Like, just like, man, you know, instead of trying to make content, just get in conversations and record the conversations, right? Like it comes off a thousand times better. And then three, I keep thinking about your like, I'm just going to take a walk around this block and talk, you know, those Facebook lives before I was going Facebook live, which have very much inspired the way that I do my Facebook lives. Cause I'm the same way. I'm a pacer, right? Like I, yeah. I, I have, it's funny, man. Cause you just described my journey exactly. Right. Like I, when I start, when I did my first like 30 days live on Facebook, April of 2020, 
it was the same I thing. I was that. like walking around that retention pond around here by my place and just like talking into the camera, right? So it, it was one-to-one what you were doing, except you were in like a parking lot while I was on a retention pond, right? Like, and now that I feel so comfortable with that, I don't feel like I need to go out. I can just sit on this couch and just like pop open my phone and talk to it, right? So like, so so now I've been doing my lives just from this couch and I like to have Andre and Big Boy in the background and my wife's art and whatever, because I like that too. And then last but not least, I can't believe you brought up the fact that I can't grow a mustache, bro. That's fucked up. <laughs> hey, you brought up karaoke, okay? This is just me being like, whoa, <laughs> right back at you. <laughs> but I love it, man. So what is what does your business look like right now, Moby? What is uh what what is like what are you helping people do? To, talk me through it a little bit. Yeah, so you know what's when I got my green card in 2019, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I, I got to quit Dell. I, I'm really not happy here. I got to quit. I made a course. And it was not a lot bad launch. We did about five, six can sales, gotcha. uh, which is not bad. Thank you for being uh, our supporter. And I, so then I started working with Austin Larson, who's fantastic, awesome. amazing, awesome. amazing dude, honestly, yeah. solid, solid man. And then we did an online conference. I switched jobs because I started working at a startup accelerator. I was managing that. Like, okay, this is what I want to do. I realized I do not like startups. I like new companies, startups, and the VC model, not my thing. But in March 2020, I got laid off. And the first thing was, what's a big thing that's going to be exciting that we can do? Let's host an online conference. I got screwed. Let's figure out how to help people who don't know how to deal with social distancing to sell things, right? You were a speaker and that in that you also spoke at, spoke about it on one of your lives. I was tuned in. And that went really well. And that was, you know, May 2020, where I was like, okay, we've done this conference. What do I want to do when I grow up? Yeah. What do we want the company to be? And I thought about this. I, at that time, I took a month off and I did a bunch of copywriting courses, content courses, meditated and worked out. I was like, okay, let me, let me figure out what to do. At that time, I wanted to be a coach. I wanted to be a coach in mid-2020 because I was like, that's my, I want to help people get comfortable on camera and share their message. And so we started this video and thought leader accelerator. That's what we started off with, helping people get comfortable on camera through online courses. That was Fire Show Media. We did that three times, eight, eight, eight people each time. That was great. But going 2021, I think I wanted to do services because that's better cash flow. Yes, I can teach people what I know, but I can also get better and better at it if I do it for other people. I don't, you probably know this, but like you were one of the earliest inspirations of like when we started the business and we had our first service client in like 2020, I was like, what do I do? And you're like, you know, try to do this, try try to do what I'm doing. And I was like, yes, please send me a contract. What the hell? And that was really, really, really helpful. That helps. So now Fire Show Media is still about helping people discover and augment and uh, amplify their voice. But We've got the product side, which we help people through online courses. That's taking a backseat to us discovering, trying to discover this thing. What's a one-time and monthly package that we can sell to small businesses and their C-suites to help them build their personal brand and position themselves as thought leaders and develop business? That's what I'm discovering right now. I I won't say that I have the perfect package, but over these last six weeks, talking to mentors, offering it to people, getting good and bad feedback, I'd say that that's what we're going after. How do we create something that's so compelling to somebody who wants to position themselves as somebody who's known for what they do and us giving them the content, but also helping them develop business off of that? 
we're trying to find that question. And I just, the business just entered year one, like year two officially. So yeah, yeah, yeah. this is going to be a year of discovery for Fire Show Media. I love it. It's hard. It's hell, but you know, lack of sleep helps. <laughs> nice. Good time. You know, man, I, I haven't asked this question in a while because I, I, I this used to be a much more formulaic part of my interview, but I kind of want to ask you because I think it it makes sense. But I part of what I'm what I try to deconstruct on on this podcast it's how do how do I attract amazing people like you into my life? And I felt that there was a very conscious shift from I was somebody that was somewhere in your ecosystem to all of a sudden I felt like I was a resource to you. Mm-hmm. And you started reaching out to me and asking me about stuff. And I I, I guess my question is. When did that switch flip? Like, like what made you what made you go from thinking this is Pablo, a guy that I've seen a couple of times, to Pablo, a guy I think I can reach out to and like get some value from, and I actually want to be friends with? Do Do you have any kind of like feeling about that? Well, I still don't know about the friends part. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, but like I remember. So one of the things that stuck out when I met you was you said you love human connection. I was like, whoa, this guy. And you said it a few times. I was like, this guy loves human connection. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But what stuck out, and I still remember it, it was your, I don't know if this was your first set of videos, but these was like videos, you were wearing a blazer, you were standing up and you're talking about being the connector. Of yeah, yeah. My, network, my networking superchargers. Yeah, yeah. I still, yes. I still recycle those. Yeah. And that was the first time I knew that you knew a lot about networking, but that was you putting out content and talking about it and sharing a specific method. That just, I mean, it doesn't, it really didn't have an effect on me wanting to be friends with you because that just came about because we started talking. But that, in my mind, from an outside perspective, that just made your authority go from, oh, cool, he says he knows about this thing to boom, he's got some tactics and tools and methods that he shares about the things that he says he knows. You were demonstrating value. And that jumps out at me. I was like, and that's what makes me think of a thought leader is somebody, Like, for example, when I met you, you were all about it and you talked about it and you had these concepts and you were talking to them about them one-on-one. But when you took them to video, I feel like you really positioned yourself like, yo, let me demonstrate what I know and not just tell you. And I I remember, I think I was doing uh, masterminds of some sort. I remember that being stuck in my head for weeks and it was very helpful for me, even if I'd never told you, but I, I remember when I was doing masterminds, I was just connecting people. And so it was really helpful. That was the, yeah. So the moment you got on video more, I was like, boom, you just start popping. Cause you start popping up a lot on my Facebook. Yeah. And I got it, got me a chance to really show, see you explain your concept in a one to many format, which is basically content. Power of the stage, right? So, so I think a couple things happened there. One is once, and this goes back to everything and why we're doing what we're doing, right? But like, if you are, if you are able to deliver something to someone from a stage one to many, it increases the level of authority in someone's head, right? Like, and and I think for that, because I was just talking to this, I was just talking to this kid that called me up this weekend, so. Awesome story, right? Like this kid comes up to me on a golf course. That's like a, I don't know if you knew he's a kid, right? He's probably in his like early twenties or whatever, Mm -hmm. but he's working as like a cart boy on a golf course. And he hears me giving somebody marketing and like content creation tips or whatever. 
And he just comes up after he's like, Hey man, I just wanted to talk to you. Cause I've been thinking about doing this and I've been doing this on TikTok and blah, blah, blah. And I just want to pick your brain. I was like, yeah, dude, what's up? So I've been, I've been loosely mentoring this guy. He's followed up with me a couple of times. I've taken like three or four calls with him and, and he is, he used to be a teacher. Now he's working at a golf course. He's had a couple million views on TikTok. He's trying to like figure out what this means for his life. And, and his family's just like, bro, you can't go be Jake Paul, go be a teacher. You know, like it's all the same shit that we all go through when we're trying to be an entrepreneur. And, and I'm telling him, I'm like, dude, you need to figure out two things. Number one, I think you clearly have some talent, right? Like you're, you're already doing things well. You a, you reach out to people and you get mentorship. That's, that's a huge indicator. And I can talk to you and I don't feel like you're an asshole. And, and two, you know, you have some talent in the sense that you're getting some views. Like you have these like well thought out content concepts that you're executing on. You need to think about two things. One is this idea that if you're trying to go the full-time influencer, Jake Paul route, that is a little bit of a lottery, right? It's like, you can be the best looking, best actor in Hollywood, but somebody still got to give you a shot for you to get somewhere, blah, 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 right? So you need to think about how you extend that timeline. And the way that you extend that timeline is by being able to like work in the space and doing the tools and getting better, right? Like what we're talking about, like figure out how to be a service provider and the stuff that you already know for other people that allows you to fund your exploration, your iteration, keep, keep going down that path. And step one is look around and see what's working for you and figure out how to explain what that is. Right. Like once, cause then, you know, when he's like, well, how can I help you? I'm like, well, I don't know. You got to come to me and tell me what you're good at. Right. Like you got to come to me and tell me what you've learned that you can apply, that you can teach me to apply, or you can apply for me before mm-hmm. I'm going to pay you to do something. Not just here's my TikTok. Look what I've done with my content. You got to be able to recontextualize that. Right. So like st- step one in developing this personal brand around what you care about through content or through speaking or to get a job in it is to be able to look at what you've done that's worked for you and then figure out how to how to delineate, you know, like what are the things that are working and how to communicate that, right? Uh, JP, can you cut that? That was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> you heard of JP? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, that's really, really well put because I think we take for granted the things that we do for ourselves, which, you know, uh, a lot of people out there, basic as hell, this is what a uh, 1080 by whatever, 1024, whatever this is, uh, making it square, right? That's a basic thing that you and I know. But at one time we didn't. Other people don't know that. How to add captions. For some people, that's like, I have no idea how to do it. Music, where to get free music? We don't know. I think as we go on our journey of you know, learning how to do things, we take the other things for granted. Like we take those things for granted. And we're like, oh, everybody knows how to do that. And we don't think it's valuable to people. So I love that advice about to that to that kid. Figure out what you're doing. And I'm sure somebody out there wants it. One of my clients, she, I, I make, you know, we make the, her content. We make her quote cards. We make all of it. And she doesn't know how to, we had to teach her how to use Zoom. Right. And I, these things that I thought like, oh, that I would be helping someone with, I didn't think I would at one time. I was like, oh, everyone knows how to do it. They don't need my help. But there's so many people who need help. Like, and that, great advice, and that, Thanks, man. You know, like it, it ties into everything I believe in. The whole everybody has value, right? Like it's like everybody has some kind of value. The key is to be able to recognize it and share it, right? So like 
that's what led me everywhere, right? It's this idea that once I started acknowledging it in other people, I, I was like, oh shit, I got some value too, right? Like I like I'm I'm able to like figure that out and share that. So mm-hmm. I'm glad it's landed on you, bro. You ready for the lightning round? Let's do it. All right, let's go. What is your favorite restaurant? Where is it and what do you order? Madam Mam's Beef Penang Curry. And I've done that for like eight years. It's a it's a Thai restaurant uh, in Austin. Oh my God, I love it. It's not the best, but I love it. Okay, well, then I'm not even going to take a note of it. Madame Ann's Beef Curry in Austin, Texas. Got you. What content are you most into right now? Uh, I'm listening to, yeah, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. I've heard good And it's this weird, yeah, it, 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 you know, it, it's not a self-help book. It's not a story. It's, it's kind of like a storybook of his life. And I'm listening to it. And it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm just picking up random things. I'm learning about somebody else. And it's refreshing to learn something to just go through a piece of content without being like, what is this going to give me? I mean, I'm reading a LinkedIn book, but like right now I'm reading the green lights by Matthew McConaughey. What has it given you so far? Have you learned anything in specific from green lights or are you it's just okay to be weird space? as hell? It's okay, it's to, be okay to be weird as hell. Well, all right. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> what, what is something you were sure about in your twenties that you no longer believe? <laughs> that it was important to go out every Thursday, Friday, Saturday. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> it was important to go out every weekend to have a fun life. And now I'm like, I spent one Saturday alone. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Oh my God. Perfect example of something that is really valuable to know that you just automatically assume people already figured <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, totally, bro. I can't I can't agree more. I love going to sleep at fucking 8 30 p.m. on a Friday night. Oh my God. It's the best. Why? Right. Yeah. <laughs> what's your favorite piece of advice that you've ever received or your like go-to advice you'd like to give people? There's this uh, quote. I'm going to, re- I'm going to do a quote, which Wait. was, I read this in a fiction book. Cause I read, fic- I'm a major nerd, dude. I read so much fiction. It was, it was a general in a book who said self-control, self-control is armor. And if necessary, a weapon. And I've been thinking about this a long time. I still haven't processed it, but to me, I am then impulsive, emotional, go, 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 and then stop and just rest for a bit moment. I can be called, I probably said reckless, but that was good for me to know, like, hey, learn how to, how to think and use that pause muscle to deploy at the right time because your natural tendencies, whether that's to go be impulsive or go and think deeply, whatever that is, Use it, leverage it, but don't let it control you. And like my business partner is one of the best examples of that. Like, you know, we talked about the visionary integrator part, but he is in in the business. He's my self-control because I will go out and on a whim be like, I want to buy this $1,500 course on YouTube because it looks cool. Oh my God. They're, it's only going to be open for two more days. Oh my. So uh, <laughs> he's my self-control in that. But I just love that quote, self-control. It is armor, and if necessary, a weapon. I love it, dude. And and by the way, everybody needs a business partner that can be the adult in the room. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Cut that out, JP. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. I want a quote card of that one. Everyone needs a, because th- that was mine. All right, dude. So I'm going to link to your Instagram, not that Moby. I'm going to link yeah. to fireshowmedia.com. I'm going to link to your LinkedIn Follow this man, this guy, like you're a great follow on, on social media, dude. I, 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 you're one of my favorite follows on social media right off the bat. 
But right now it's promote whatever you want to promote, draw attention to whatever you want. How do people connect with you? What's the best place to find you? Go. Stay yeah. Hit me up on Instagram or LinkedIn. That's it. I, I got nothing to promote right now. Buy my $99 course. No, I'm kidding. Not yet. <laughs> hey, I bought a course from you. No regrets. No regrets. Yeah. Last question I ask everybody, Moby, is where do you find community? I find community. In the start, I was going through a lot of meetups and just meeting a lot, lot of people. Like it was volume, volume, volume. And over time, I've developed these key relationships with people. And it's weird. Like a lot of my close friends have met each other once, if at all. It's usually on my birthday. Like my best friends don't know each other much. And I, I now I find community through these relationships that I had for a few years, like you or like I've talked about Mark Nathan or friends that I've known in different parts of my life. And out of the 10, 15 people that I knew at one time or from that group or from that event, they've stuck out. So I've got these loose connection of people that I talk to and they, the pandemic really helped. Like who did I want to have connection with? this year for entire 12 months, who would I not miss and who would I actually want to have a conversation with? So those people, I stuck with them this year. All right, man. I'm glad I, I'm glad I snuck in there during the pandemic, man. Moby, I'm glad we finally did this, bro. Like I, you didn't mention this before, but this is the second time we do content together because we did, because we did your virtual summit. And I turned that piece into one of my pep tracks. I don't know if you know that, right? Like I, I know. I've, so, so very, very high up there in the, in the honor list. I'm just glad to call your friend, man. Like I, I, for whatever reason, I, I, I strangely liked you more than I needed to from the moment that I met you and, uh, and you've only grown on me since. And I, you know, I'm glad that I can give back to you in a certain way because your story and the way that you show up online inspired me to show up online, which has greatly affected my journey. I can't wait till South by Southwest is back so I can be one of the 50,000 people that can hit you up for like a hookup during that time because I'm yep, going to do yep, it. Yep. And uh, be prepared. Like like uh, Uncle Scar said in The Lion King, be, be prepared. Be prepared. <laughs> And dude, I'm just, I'm excited for the future of our relationship, man. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for being my friend, man. Like, this is awesome. You're the man. I appreciate it, man. I can't wait for either South by or like podcast movement in well, wherever that is. When I see you next, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I want Absolutely. to float the Guadalupe with you, bro. Have you done that? Oh dude. Yes. I got really burnt and really drunk. <laughs> yeah. The key to building your relationship flywheel will rely in your ability to design and build your own stage where you can have conversations with people, getting to know them, understanding their value, and sharing it to the world. This is the service that I offer, and I offer it to $100 million companies where we're setting record-breaking sales goals with it. If you want to know more about that, go to connectwithpablo.com. If you're just an individual that wants to build it, subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my email list on my website because coming soon is a community where I'm going to teach this to you personally. Go to connectwithpablo.com.